You're listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum focused and dedicated 100% to sales development. If you care about growing your skills and getting more new sales appointments, pipeline, and closed one deals, you came to the right place. Subscribe to the show on YouTube, iTunes, or Spreaker, and be sure to go back and listen to all the episodes for the best strategies, tips, and tactics out there on running a high-performance sales development program. And now, your host, founder, and CEO of TenBound at TenBound.com, David Delaney. CRM has been proven to limit sales reps' responsiveness, persistency, and cadence. It's a design flaw, and it's losing you deals. That is why today's sales leaders use sales engagement platforms like VanillaSoft. Check it out. Go to VanillaSoft.com and start your free trial. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. I have sort of a legend in the industry today. I'm really excited to have Mr. Jeff Haber, head of sales development over at TigerGraph. Jeff, how you doing? Great, David. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. I'm not sure I'm a legend, but thank you. <laughs> Jeff, your reputation precedes you. Just so you know, you are very highly regarded in the sales development community. And we finally met a while back at the Topo conference. And I was immediately like, I got to get this guy on the podcast. So thanks for making the time. If folks are not familiar with your background, it's interesting and, and definitely want to get us up to speed on, on how you got into sales development. Okay. Well, first of all, again, thank you. It's really an honor to be here. I'm very touched. And so with that said, I'm a bit of an anomaly. I was born in Berkeley and raised in Santa Cruz, and I work in software. There's not a lot of Bay Area natives in software. There's more now, but there wasn't. And I really feel fortunate to be able to live and have a nice quality of life in the land that I grew up in. Before I was in sales development, and I know you're really interested in this, David, I actually worked in the surfing industry, manufacturing hard goods, specifically fins for sailboards and surfboards. I was the founder of a company called Maui Fin Company. You can go to Maui Fin Company online and see their what they're doing today. I'm super proud of what they've done with that business and the brand that I started. They've definitely fulfilled the vision of high-performance equipment. I got a start actually in sales development way back in 2000. I had been working for regional system integrators as an AE, and I saw that a lot of the manufacturers in computing at the time were going direct. And so they were squeezing out middlemen like myself. So I started applying at software companies, and I want to shout out to Kathy Dodge at Epiphany for taking a chance on me way back in 2000. She hired me to her sales development team, where I pretty quickly fell in love with the idea of sales development really being this great confluence between marketing and sales. Since 2000, I've had various roles, both in individual contributor roles, in management roles in sales development, and then I've jumped roles a few times and carried a bag as an AE, as well as done marketing programs. And uh, a few years back, I settled back into sales development, specifically in leadership roles, and I'm here for life. Uh, I really take all the experiences that I've had both in my manufacturing days, in my days carrying a bag, in my days running marketing programs, and roll that up into what I think sales development looks like now. Well, that is a great roundup. And that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about is a lot of the folks who listen to the podcast are 
you know, newer to the sales development world, or they're maybe running their first program and they're kind of trying to map it out at a high level. So I know that this is a big question, but with your experience in running these teams and and having different, you know, experiences in different parts of the company, where are like two or three places that you would start if you were looking at a sales development program and trying to get it going? Well, that is going to be a loaded and opinion-filled question, David. <laughs> How dare you ask that out of the gate? <laughs> there we go. But thank you for that. I believe that there is a couple of key areas and having worked in a lot of startups, one of the, I'm going to back up a little bit. One of the things that's really important to me as both in my role as a sales development leader and manager, and just you know reporting to somebody else as well, is having the right mindset and having a really friction-free work environment. And so one of the key things that I do right away is try to establish where the points or find the points of friction in the existing sales development process if I've inherited any and work to remove those. And in working to remove those over the last several years, I've been able to actually design what I think is a great way to just move forward and get started and really create a functional baseline that allows a company like Tygraph, which we're a company, it's a lot about where, we're, where we need to execute right now in our business, as well as where we need to build for and scale for where our business is going to be tomorrow. Because as a Series A company, what are we playing for right now? We're, we're playing for more customers and another round of funding. So it's all about execution, eliminating bottlenecks and friction. So there's a couple things I start out with first. And you know, one of them is depending on whether I've inherited a team or not, or maybe one person, is start establishing the team culture. I'm a really big believer in work-life balance. I think, David, you asked me the, the $10,000 question I always get asked all the time. is how many days a week do you surf, Jeff? <laughs> and I never like to answer that question, honestly, because I've had guys like Ray Carroll tell me, you can't be serious about a career in technology if you surf that many days a week. But I live 10 minutes away from the beach in a coastal town. So guess what? I can. But so work-life balance is very important to me. And I try to establish that with my team. That's a big part of culture. So they know that when they need to go somewhere that their boss isn't going to be really dogmatic about letting them go somewhere. Or when one of my team recently was just having a, a really crappy day and he wasn't feeling it. And I looked at him and I said, you need to go home and go swim some laps. And he did. And the next day he came in, I got a nice fist pump and he felt like a million bucks again. So it's really working on establishing what that team culture is. And part of that team culture is not only just being you know, present, helping as a team member, being creative, being willing to share, but it's also thinking about your role and how you want to hit your goals. And I try to model my team to being very high performance. So it's trying to create this culture of, look, we're going to help each other out along the way, but you're also going to work really hard to hit your goals because you want to be in that sweet spot. So first thing I tackle is I come up with what I call this quality criteria. I establish a multivariate qualification criteria. This uses scoring that helps quantify what a SQL really is. And why do I do this? Because I want to create a system that allows us to generate as many SQLs as possible 
that allows us to deliver them very readily and easily to the field. And most importantly, that minimizes the amount of subjective and objective critique on whether something is qualified or not from other people. So I worked this out with, in, at TigerGraph, my boss, our COO, Todd Blaska, we worked out what we felt was the right criteria and it was multivariate, meaning that I'm not just scoring on if someone has a title, I wanna know if they have that title and do they have access to the sponsor? Are they the sponsor? You know, those are different score thresholds. Do you have, I sell emerging technology and have largely worked in the data and analytics space for the last 20 years. Therefore, most of the time when I'm calling someone or my team is calling somebody, they don't know what it is that we have or they just barely heard about it. Graph databases now have been around for a while, but there's a lot of people out there that don't know the, how capable they are today. So having a multivariate qualification allows us to look at somebody with a little bit more dimensionality to understand, do they have a project? Do they have an initiative? Or is this just researching? And by being multivariate, if I'm talking to a chief data officer and he's just researching and he's at a Fortune 100 company, I can definitely tell you that's going to probably score into a sequel because if we position our technology well with that guy, he's going to go out and find use cases for it. And this is the kind of stuff that could get passed if you were just doing some flatline, like traditional bank qualification, whereas great, I got a chief data officer, but he doesn't have a project, so let's not send him to the field. Whereas in my world, I'm talking to a chief data officer. He's at a Fortune 1000 company. We know based on the market characteristics of our technology that for the next five years, there's going to be significant like CAGAR. And because of that, we know that in the timeline that we usually, our sales cycles are, which is like most enterprise software companies, what, 9 to 12, 9 to 15 months, that this person is probably someone we want to nurture along. So that's the first thing, because what that does is this creates what I call this immutability and this agreement between sales and sales development and marketing between what classifies as a sales qualified lead. It helps us determine what are better marketing qualified leads kind of upstream from where the sales development team sits. And it certainly helps move things through to the field much faster from a handoff perspective because we're not waiting for the, the AE's buy-in on whether this was a good lead or not. Now, one of the other key things and differentiations about my team is, is my team does the first meeting. We really do provide a nice high-level overview, a little bit corporate overview, as well as an overview on graph technology and how it's being used. By doing so, we can then help position our technology with this prospect or customer and they can ask much better questions when they have the field resource, technical resources to help support them on that next stage call. And again, this is all designed at trying to eliminate one of the biggest things that I found being an SDR is that friction that occurs when you work so hard to get a meeting and you throw the meeting over to the field and the guy in the field like barely shows up on the call or then tells you, no, that wasn't a good call. So that's one of the things that I, I work to do. The other thing that I've done that I really am super stoked on here at TigerGraph is we're routing leads by company name. So we're doing an alpha routing. And this has really helped balance the problem of geography. 
Because geography, when it comes to emerging technology, you have a couple hotspots in the United States and around the globe. And the problem is, is that if you're lined up on geography, the guy in California is almost always making his number, and the person that's sitting in the Midwest is hardly ever making their number. And after listening to a lot of SDRs and AEs always complained about geo-based territories, I looked at the viability of routing things via company name. And what I did was is I divided our alphabet, but I didn't do a range of alphabets. I counted up how many companies we had in each letter of the alphabet, and I've dispersed them amongst my team. I have a team of four now. I started last August with one, and we've had 100% churn on the team, so I've been very busy hiring. And all four of these people have basically within 80 leads of each other columns of people to go after. So I'm very into parity and fairness, and no one can say, this person has more. They have a better territory. Everyone has a slice of California. Everyone has a slice in New York. Everyone has a slice of Austin. Everyone has a slice of Chicago, et cetera. Okay. So I got a bunch of questions, but I'm going to let you finish. So ask me some things. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's start with the process bottlenecks because I'm a huge, you ever, you ever heard of the goal by LOU Goldrath? The theory of constraints, right? There's always yes. some kind of constraint within a, any system. And if we look at the sales development process as like a, a machine to create SQLs, then there's got to be some kind of bottleneck. And that's usually, and you mentioned one of the first things that you do is those process bottlenecks. You try to get a, a readout on those. So how do you, how do you go in and, and start to unpack those if somebody has never done that before and they, they want to they look at their system and go, okay, we know that there's got to be one or several bottlenecks, but where do we even start with this? Well, that's a great point. And so one of the other magical things that occurs when I do this distributed lead routing is, is our field is geography-based. Enterprise selling almost always is. And what this does is this allows all of my SDRs to work with all of my AEs. So I get this consistency with feedback. There's no biases that occur based on their personal and professional relationships. There's no, you know, my best SDR has the toughest AE and he doesn't approve all of the meetings that he sends to them because we already provide a meeting. We provide a score. They have notes and details on it. And it just leads and opportunities are moved through the system much faster based on this program as well as just how they tackle bulk leads. Because instead of me, for instance, when I get a new AE, we can get them up to speed fairly quickly because I don't just assign one SDR to help ramp them up. I put the power of my team to help ramp them up. So if you think about it, I can spend, you know, let's just say I could spend two weeks, a couple hours a day with my team's sole emphasis on generating meetings and sequels for the field and this new AE. And that's going to be an increase in horsepower by four times than if I just have one person on it. So that's one way I eliminate bottlenecks. The other way I eliminate bottlenecks is just, again, through process optimization. One of the big bottlenecks that I've always felt I was, was having to manually route leads. And, you know, sometimes buying a nice lead routing system just isn't in your budget especially when you're at a series A company, it's like, Hey, I need, I need outreach or sales loft. You know, I need discover org. You need these 
a little bit more pragmatic tools to help you get started and scale before something like lead routing. So I came up with this approach because it would help eliminate that bottleneck of me having to route leads because I can easily automate the rules both in HubSpot and in Salesforce by using company name starts with. And again, I have eliminated some of the personality conflict bottlenecks because everyone works with everyone and we all deliver kind of this high quality standard. My, my team, we're, we're a manufacturing facility. We manufacture sequels and we have a criteria. So therefore, it's much like a manufacturing yield product has to go through the quality control filters. Once it goes through the quality control filters, it's, it's marked available and it moves out. So by design, some of what I do already eliminates some of those process bottlenecks. And of course, me being one of them, because I don't know, I no longer have to route leads. Okay. So let me, let me understand this. Let me make sure that I understand this. So what you do is you take all the, the accounts and you alphabetize them. And then you hand them out in slices to the four different SDRs. And so the SDRs are not paired up with any particular sales rep. They're just, you know, and they're going outbound. But they're, the idea is that they're not, you know, giving more SQLs to one sales rep versus the other because it's it's evenly distributed. Well, I mean, that always does occur because my team, the other thing I'm a really big firm believer in is a hybrid SDR. I think when you have SDRs that are either outbound or inbound, certainly the outbound guys and gals have a really tougher job. And, you know, they might not even get a meeting in a week, let alone a phone conversation. And then the inbound team, they're all happy. They get all these leads coming in. And, you know, to this point, our, our technology is interesting and compelling to a lot of different people right now. So we have a pretty healthy inbound queue. And it's really important for us to be able to disseminate those leads quickly. And by sharing them with everyone in my whole team, I'm able to make sure that all of my SDRs every week are having live conversations they're having live meetings, they're generating sequels, and they feel good about themselves, which is another key aspect of my SDR philosophy is making people feel positive about what they do and feel good about their job and their contribution to the company. When my SDRs are feeling great, they're at their most productive point. So I try not to bury them with politics, a lot of like dogmatic rules, and just keep things so they are happy, productive, and most importantly, executing along the goals and the work streams that earn them money. Okay, so let me just ask one question because I want to dive into the culture that you're creating. That's really interesting. I don't think most people think about it like that. But real quick, before we go off that, you know, a lot of the companies divide out the SDR team between outbound and inbound. And, you know, because if you give them inbound also, then, you know, the natural human tendency is to just do inbound all day and then you never get to outbound, you know? And so how, right. do, you, how do you make sure that, you know, they're spending equal time or, you know, just enough time to get all the inbounds, but then they do go outbound because it is so much harder. It is, it is. And that is a great question. And we are going to tackle that through a little behavior modification via compensation plan. Okay. And that is actually something that's coming online this quarter. So we've done this by design from the beginning. We didn't really have a lot of 
outbound activity until very recently, or what I will call true cold call outbound. And we're now starting to do that. And so through a combination of making sure that there's a minimal threshold of activity being hit, in other words, I'm following up on all the inbound leads, and I'm also taking care of outbound because I do pay an accelerator on outbound but you have to hit a minimal threshold of activity to make that accelerator. And all this stuff is totally within grasp. The other thing that I work really hard to do, and, and I can't thank my boss enough for, for really listening and thinking this through with me, is really making sure that the team is right-sized. I don't want to have too many SDRs. I would much rather have a smaller team where everyone is really operating in that upper percentage area, you know, 100%, even 120%, and have seven people as opposed to having a dozen people and half of them are like at 70% or 80%. Yep. And you got to have support for that. You do because it's a different mindset as well as so, but if you, if you show that you can make the capacity on it, you're actually bringing in a lower total operating cost, which is something that's really important as a company scales and grows, especially here in the Bay Area. It's like, do we look at building another SDR office in another region because there might be a lower cost of, of living there? Most of the places that we want to post up that office now are getting pretty close to what the Bay Area costs, again, except for housing prices, perhaps. So, it's just a different model. And, you know, you may come back to me in a year and I may tell you I had to separate the team. It didn't work out. But I've seen this work before. And now that I have support from a compensation perspective, I feel really good about my team, most importantly, feels really good about like where this is headed. And when you you want to establish a high performance culture, right? I, I, it sounds like what I'm hearing is we we keep it lean. We keep it really, really tight, really focused. and but bring in an element of fun for sure. I mean, because that, that keeps everybody excited, give them the inbound leads, keep them excited. But the high performance culture, like what does that mean to you that you want to put a high performance culture together? And, you know, how can people model that? Well, for me, it, it gets down into one of my past, a couple of key passions of my life are, you know, board sports. And from a sport perspective, I follow Formula One, which is, super high performance. And I view my SDRs, they're my race car drivers. I want to be their pit crew. I want them to tell me what they need from me so they can get more sequels, which is just like how Lewis Hamilton talks to his pit crew on a race weekend, helping them optimize the car so he can win the race. And it's the same thing. I'm doing everything I can to support them. So help build them views in Salesforce so they don't have to spend time finding leads. Going out and pulling leads from data sources like Discover Org, getting them structured into our system within our campaign structures, our lead source structures, and then again, building those views so the team can go out and within a couple of clicks, find who they need to talk to. I also work on helping develop messaging for them. There's always a lot of work to do on messaging, especially at a startup. And we just uh, have been deploying sales loft, and I've got to build out a ton of snippets, which is great. There's all this great work for me to do. But that's what I really believe is, you know, my number is my team's number, and their number is theirs and mine. And if I can do everything I can 
to make sure that they're getting as much time, you know, sending emails, making those calls, hosting those initial meetings, then I can assure that they're going to make their number. If I put out a lot of those tasks and allow them to do it, I don't know that they're going to make the activity number they need to that's going to drive the results that we want. Got it. Okay. And so like, you know, how do you, how do you define a high performance culture then for your team? Like, are there, do you have it? Is there like a thing in the back of your head where you're like, this is what I want them to be doing and I'm going to support that a hundred percent, or is it just kind of like you enabling them a hundred percent and, you know, I'm not sure what I'm trying to say, but it's like, well, it's a little bit of both, yeah. right? Like, so we're all, that's the, that's the other thing. So right now we're a series A company and we're, we're all growing together. I actually have hired four SDRs since I've been here. None of them have been an SDR before. I've got a school teacher. I've got, you know, a guy that was working at a consulting firm that I knew through surfing. I've got, <laughs> I hired my last car salesman. He was that good. And I just hired a, somebody off the floor of REI. So I go out there and find talented individuals. And if I go out in my life and I meet somebody and I'm like, wow, you have the right kind of skills to do this job. I give them my business card and tell them to call me and talk to me about what they'd like to do for the rest of their life. And in doing so, I've been able with here, certainly at Tiger Graph is, you know, bring in people that are really, really green. So they're really, really hungry to learn the job and the processes that we have. And then listen to them once they hit the ground running and how we can tune things to make things better. I don't always have the right answers, but certainly my experience in doing this for a lot of time does lend itself to having many right answers. Yep, definitely. Are you in sales, but you're not using a sales engagement tool? Then you're probably losing out on revenue because you are not engaging with prospects at the right time, with the right cadence, and with enough persistency. You need VanillaSoft. Start your free trial today. Go to VanillaSoft.com. And let me ask you this. So you brought in a tremendous amount of subject matter expertise to this, which is really interesting because when out in the sales development world, you know, one of the things that's really hard for people and especially managers is they've never actually done the job of the people that they're calling on, right? Or they haven't yeah. been in the industry very long. So they don't know the vocabulary and, and the pain points and like they don't go to the conference, stuff like that for the industry that they're calling on. So they're kind of almost flying blind and they're trying to like create sequences and cadences and like do marketing copy for a, a market that they don't really truly understand. Right. So you brought in all this deep subject matter expertise. If somebody doesn't have that, like and they do, they can't fast forward 20 years of their career, you know, any tips or techniques to get that? Because I think that's been a huge advantage for you, it seems. It really has, especially over the course of the last 10 years, the data and analytics space has gotten really trendy and popular. I was in the space before, you know, when it was small data. <laughs> small data. And, and it has been very beneficial. And, and here's why is that, you know, I can come in and train four SDRs that didn't know anything about graph databases, let alone databases, or even where data comes from. I mean, if you think about it, when you buy something on Amazon, you just generated a bunch of data that goes into a database, at least one database. And so that has been, and I, I can say for me, I just took that, I kind of took the old school approach of saying, well, 
before I was in software and technology, I was in the surfing industry and, you know, I was pretty much a subject matter expert in surfing by the time I got in the surfing industry. And it helped a lot in a lot of ways. And so I carried that over when I got into software. My first software job was at Epiphany, which was a CRM marketing analytics company that was basically built on top of large data warehouse. And since then, I've ended up working at you know data warehousing companies, database companies, NoSQL database companies, et cetera. And, and all of that has built up to this level of domain knowledge that allows me to come into a company like TigerGraph and share what I know about the data management and the analytics space to my team. So they don't have to be subject matter experts. We just need to figure out what's the right message for our given audience. And then I can work on helping position them with that messaging. And, and yes, I, I do play a role in a lot of our messaging because of that level of experience. In fact, I often tell my team that there's one guy, I think he actually knows more about graph databases than I do, but I know about everything else. And so I still sound, you know, pretty cogent, but he's getting pretty good at, at pitching like specificity around the graph, which I do have been diving into a little bit more. I think that if somebody is interested in a technology domain, that they should try to seek out other jobs within that domain before they just jump to like, oh, this job looks good, the commute looks great. I've been really methodical about picking companies where this domain knowledge can bring a lot of value because quite frankly, one of the things I really love about work is just feeling appreciated. It's a big thing for me. Totally. And it's it's interesting because, you know, say you're you're we've talked about this a lot actually on the podcast. It's really interesting because say you're you're looking at two companies and one one of them is something that you are interested in from a subject matter perspective. And you would you would learn about, you know, regardless of whether you were working at that company. And then the other one over here is like you you don't know anything about that subject matter you know, and, and you're going to have to come in and learn everything about it to be able to sell it. So that's, that's a layer of decision-making when you're looking at, at, at opportunities. But then beyond that also is how's the company itself? Like, are they, is it a good company? Because it's like a Rubik's cube almost, because you could get into something where you're totally into the subject matter and you love talking about it. That's all you want to do all day, but the company sucks, you know? Or <laughs> the opposite, and I, I speak from experience because I've been in both of those situations. And absolutely, yeah. So, anyways, I mean, I had, in fact, this last where I ending up at Tiger Graph was an exact decision like that. Graph and Graph databases have been around for quite some time, and I had followed them. They just never were really at the scale that is needed for today's data environment. And when a, TigerGraph found me through a recruiter and the recruiter called me up and said, hey, Jeff, I've got this big data analytics company for you. It's perfect fit. The COO wants to meet you already. I said, well, just tell me the name of the company so I could go do some research, right? And she goes, it's a graph database, TigerGraph. And I went, oh, graph. Let me go check it out and I'll get back to you. And I didn't get further than like two thirds down their homepage and I saw, you know, MPP, distributed architecture and all the things that told me that this was a significant quantum leap in what graph databases, what I thought they were to where they are now. And it is. 
And in fact, I was actually interviewing at a company in the healthcare space. And the manager there was awesome. I mean, he still, I connected with him on LinkedIn. He's just really, he was so thoughtful. And sometimes I wonder, wow, did I make the right decision? But at the same time, I have an extremely thoughtful manager and leader here. And I'm in my domain space. So I felt more comfortable making this decision. And frankly, it allowed me to come in and do what I love to do. It's just come in and hit the ground running. You know, there's nothing better for me than at the end of the first week, having my boss look at me and be like, you know, you're looking like one of the better decisions I've made recently. I love that. That's a great feeling. (laughs) Is that like when you drop in on a wave and it's just got a really clean line and tons of power and you're just super stoked? Dude, like, how'd you learn how to say all that right there? (laughs) You don't even surf. But yes, I I think you remembered our previous conversation. That's exactly what it's like. It's like really dropping into a really beautiful wave and having the wave just kind of tell you exactly what you need to do, except you trying to like figure out what you're going to do on the wave. Sometimes the wave is so good, it just dictates it. And that's a a reasonable analogy for a non-surfer. Good work. (laughs) Dude, I mean, you know, I think we've all been in those situations where you drop in and it just crashes on you on top of you. Oh, well, I mean, company perspective. Yeah, that's another thing. I I would say that, you know, surfing and board sports in general have created a a high tolerance for me for being able to handle failure. I mean, just this weekend, my first wave I paddled out on on Saturday, I just fell so hard on. But that was the first wave. The rest of the waves were awesome. I had a really good day on Saturday. I'm still kind of tired from it. (laughs) Nice. And so I guess the lesson there for people is like, hey, just go in and get the feeling for the for the situation. Dive in. You might make mistakes. You might get pounded, but keep moving forward. And, you know, I mean, I, I think looking at the, the whole subject matter conversation, it's like, you know, if you're earlier in your career and there's something about the subject matter of, of the market that you're going after that you're interested in like pull on that thread and, and go with it and try to try to line them line that up with a good company that's well run and can support you because it feels like you kind of found that at Tiger Graph. You there was something you had experience, you were really interested in, and it's a supportive company. And it's just like boom, let's go. Yeah, I mean again the domain expertise helps a lot of ways because it helps you be able to analyze a company and understand like is this really a viable technology? And, you know, I, like I said, I've been in this space quite some time. So a little bit of review on some websites, maybe reaching out to some of the people in my network, I can get a really good sense of whether a company really has technology that's going somewhere. I mean, before I was here at TigerGraph, I spent two years at Alation building out their sales development team. And Alation is doing amazingly well. And they have amazing technology. And, you know, those the domain expertise has helped me be able to make these really good decisions. In fact, TigerGraph is one of the few companies that I wasn't really on my radar that I've actually come to work for. Alation, before I went to work for them, they were on my radar. Astrodata, before I went to work for them, which is another company I went from like being the first SDR to building out a team, I went for them. So this is it is very interesting, and I and I can't stress enough how it can help you. And in fact, I've shared that to all my SDRs. I have four new SDRs this year. They all want to do something else, right? And 
they all have realized through our discussion, and I pointed out the opportunity for them to really understand this domain and the value that it can bring for years to come. Right. And, you know, that brings up a really interesting thing because a lot of people get into sales development as, as like a stepping stone to, to other things that they're trying to do. And it creates like a lot of tension because, you know, from a business perspective, the business is looking for the meetings and, and the pipeline. And, you know, right. they're, they're spending a ton of money to have the people there doing the sales development job. And then at the same time, the person doing the job is like, this job sucks. <laughs> I want to get another job. And, and, you know, it creates that tension. And what you're saying is like, Hey guy, wait a minute. Like I have deep subject matter expertise. I know a lot about sales development. I'm running a really high performance program. Stick around. You can learn a lot from me and gain a lot of value from this experience instead of just sitting there going, this job sucks. I can't wait to get out of here. Like type of thing. Yes. I agree with that statement, although it might not be reflective in my LinkedIn behavior and activity, <laughs> okay. but, it, but I, I absolutely do support that. I mean, I, I want people that want to be here. And when I find a good candidate to join my team, I really explain to them and take time to explain to them what my leadership style is and what they can expect. I tell them that depending on how good they are at their role and how fast the company grows and they control how fast the company grows by their performance, by the way. And I tie that all together, right? Is, you know, so the, the SDR that I inherited when I joined TigerGraph at the end of August of last year, he's a mid-market AE right now. So we do promote from within and we absolutely have a path for that. In fact, my most recent SDR hire took a like data science boot camp through Berkeley Extension. And he is most likely going to become maybe one of the first SDRs here to graduate into maybe a more of a technical facing sales type role. We don't know exactly what that is yet because he's only been here for two and a half weeks. But we know based on his interests and what he's done that that is probably the pathway we want to take for him. One of my other SDR hires, like two of them flat out will become great account execs. I don't doubt that. They have those skills and that's where they want to go. My second or my third hire, a guy I met at the beach through surfing, he has a bit of a finance degree. I keep asking him, you know, you want to wrangle some sales up spreadsheets for us? We'll see where he ends up, right? I, he also has this affinity for partnerships and alliances. So part of what I do when I'm talking to people is, try to get a sense of where they want to head next and then give them a framework of how they're going to get there because they're going to need to be in this job. If they want to be successful and stay in the domain, they're going to want to be in this job probably at least 12, if not 18 months, because it's, it's challenging to go out and carry a bag suddenly and sell for the first time something new and emerging. So we want to give them plenty of time to really understand our business and find what's right for them. Well, it's interesting though. It, I love that. I mean, you're 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 a mentor to these people, and you're trying to help them to find their strengths and and to leverage that to benefit the company and to benefit their own career. So that's an awesome attitude. And and I would also ask, like, what if somebody came to you and they said, "Hey, I just want to be an SDR like the rest of my life. Like, I, I'm just going to make my number every month and crush it and." That's what I want to do. Like I, I'd hire that person. 
I don't have a bias towards that. If somebody knows what they want to do and that's what they're comfortable, like for me, like I don't want to carry a bag. I mean, if I have to go do that again someday for some reason, then I'll go do that. But sales development is what I really love doing. And taking on these roles as a leader and as a mentor and a coach is something that I really, really enjoy a lot. I really, I look at some of where some of my past SDRs have went. You know, one of my, my first hire at Alation, he's now an account exec. Another hire there is in HR. You know, so there's like, I love seeing how people grow and evolve by doing good work and where they end up. And I actually think sales development is a really great bench for people who want to learn about the business of software. Because once you learn how to interact with prospects and customers, that knowledge carries you far in any kind of business relationship, whether you're in the finance department, whether you're in customer success, whether you're in sales, et cetera. But back to your point, I am fine with somebody that wants to be an SDR for life. I mean, I joke around with a guy like Ray Carroll and say, hey, Ray, one day I may come to you and just need a job as an SDR. And I gave Ray a solid tip years ago to quit a job and join Marketo, which I think worked out for Ray pretty well. And he's told me that he does owe me a solid on that. But hopefully I've built some of that uh, good karma with other sales development reps I've worked with over the course of the years too. But I agree. I, I would happily take a I would happily take a lifer because they're going to really yeah. appreciate how we do things. They're going to really appreciate our compensation plan, and they're really and I'm going to really appreciate someone that just wants to come in and get the job done. Totally. I mean, it's just funny because well, first you brought up Ray like two or three times, so I got to get him on the show. He's a really good guy, and I've learned a lot from his his posts and just you know, attending his talks and stuff like that. So if you guys don't know about Ray Carroll, definitely go follow him. So, and then the other thing I just bring that up is because it's like, I would love to work with life or SDRs, you know, because like, you know, it's a really hard job and it takes a long time to build up the skills and the industry knowledge and the subject matter expertise and just being able to motivate yourself every day to do the job. And, and it's like, you know, I don't get many negative comments, but whenever I say something about like how great lifers are and wouldn't it be great if everybody wanted to be an SDR, you know, the rest of their life, dude, I just get flamed, man. You know, cause everyone's like, what the heck are you talking about being an SDR? I mean, you know, it's just such a foreign concept, you know? Well, I mean, I think if you think about it, a lot of the companies are selling people on becoming SDRs for pathing reasons into other roles into a company. But if you look at actually the way the labor market is right now and how tight it is, finding to me, like I've been looking for a life or SDR that wants to just come in and crush their number because another big part of my team culture and philosophy is let's come in and do the work, then please leave the building and go out and have some fun. Get out there and experience life. Like I'm not that guy that's like, hey man, on Tuesday, we're going to go go-karting, although I really should schedule go-karting for a Tuesday in the near future. But I'm not going to necessarily say, okay, Tuesday, we're go-karting. On Wednesday, let's all grab a quick pint. And then on Thursday, let's, you know, I just, that whole part of the work, modern work culture kind of rubs me a little bit of the wrong way. And I think it's the surfer in me because I always wanted to work really smart. 
and then have my free time available so I can catch waves. Amen. And I want my team to go out and experience life. Like they need to go out and meet people and talk to other people besides the 40 or 50 people they talk to every day here. And I feel like if you trap them into this web of all these events and culture building, you're really not building much of a culture yeah. because you're just seeing the same people over and over and over again. And, and how does that even influence diversity and inclusion? Because it's the same idea set you're getting all day long, every day. Now, at the same time, I'll tell you that my team, everyone enjoys talking. In fact, if anything, that's always the downside is, is that I've tended to put together teams of people that really enjoy each other's company. And so sometimes it's like, hey, 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 let's get to work. And of course, you know, I'm a bit chatty myself, so I can be guilty of maybe inspiring some of that chatter as well. <laughs> well, I mean, people, you know, they like the they like the motivational stuff like foosball tables and and free cold brews and stuff like that. But it's like I think there was a book. I think it was Daniel Pink, maybe. And it was like what they really want is autonomy mastery and can't remember what the other one is it's like you know being able to feel like you're growing you know and that's that's what people really want yeah well and 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 in a lot of ways you know my program is different my team runs the first meeting we don't have that like the sdr is going to sit on the call and the sales is going to do an intro and then sit there quietly for 50 minutes that's like 50 minutes my people are on the phone you know getting more meetings and sequels. So we run those meetings and that actually brings a lot of career development right into the fray. Because when my SDR last year moved from being an SDR to an AE, he already knew how to rule our slide deck. In fact, I think he gets the best presentation in the company still, you know, using our slides. So, you know, that helps nurture that whole idea that you're going to grow because you're getting to do things that you wouldn't be doing necessarily at another company if you're just setting meetings. And again, we're, we're, we're selling a pretty complicated technology here. So learning our slide deck and how to navigate that with a very technical and very astute buyer personas is a challenge. And I know my team feels it every day. In fact, the newer ones, I work with them to make sure they don't let that get them too stressed out because they get me on a call to support them. And then at the end of the call, I'm looking at them and they're like, I'm like, what? We just got off a call before this one. And they're like, wow, Jeff, that guy asked a lot of really hard questions. And I'm like, don't compare what I can do to what you can do. You will be able to do this. We will script it. You'll learn the messaging. You'll learn the flow. Yep. And, and I got it. It's autonomy, mastery, and purpose. There's some purpose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like an inner thing, but it sounds like you have created within your team, you know, I mean, and it's a positive environment and God, you just made me think of like the moment that I decided to leave the corporate world, I was at this, this freaking like very forced executive meeting that ended up at Dave and Buster's in Roseville, California. I remember the moment and it's a bunch of 40 year old dudes like standing there at Dave and Buster's, which is basically Chuck E. Cheese with for a right. at Dave and Buster's. And I'm away from my family. I'm staying at a Marriott, you know, whatever courtyard <laughs> Marriott. And I'm like, I cannot believe that this is how I'm spending my time right now. Like I, I just was, that was the moment I was like, I'm never doing this shit again. 
Like, because I'm like you, dude, if I, you know, let's, let's go surf, let's go like have a good time, but I don't want some forced motivational thing that I have to go to. It's just not, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everyone on my team knows that the minute they stop feeling the love for the work that they should talk to me and then we'll figure out a plan so they can find what to do next. And if it's not going to happen here, cause we're not ready for it and they feel like they are, then as long as they're still in good standing with me and still cranking, I'll give them the freedom they need to go find what they want to do next. I, you know, we all make a choice every day. We're not forced to come to work. I mean, many of us have to, including me. Thank you very much. However, it's a choice. And I try to make sure my team understands that. But more importantly, I just feel like with the right communication, understanding what our shared goals are and our mission, and, and most importantly, just letting my team know that I really care about them as people and supporting them that way, I don't really run into those kinds of problems. And so far, everyone feels really good about their growth and where they're headed. And, you know, I mean, even my most tenured SDR now is like six months into the game and he just got a really nice Q1 commission check, you know? (laughs) So he's a new dad. So that goes a long way, you know? And it's those kinds of things by removing friction by creating an environment where, you know, we've got rules and boundaries and I can certainly be firm on rules and boundaries. But, you know, my other part of my style is, you know, my rope is definitely long enough to hang yourself. And if you want to pull my rope rope taut, it'll just go taut right, be- right as the sliding doors open into the emergency room. That's how I characterize my style. So there's definitely a lot of room for people to express, grow, be frustrated, whatever. But a lot of it gets tied back down into, you know, they're paid well for what they do. And when they execute and deliver on their goals, they're paid for it. There's no sales guy in there saying that meeting was no good. It doesn't count. Because you know how hard it is to just get a meeting? Yeah, exactly. Right? I mean, that's one of the crazy things I think. Like, that's why my team executes meetings, because they're paid for that meeting. We just delivered a marketing message, right? We just did an impression. We pay for impressions online. We pay for impressions when we go to events. And my team gets paid for those impressions they make when they set up a meeting and deliver it. Yep, exactly. So, dude, thank you, Jeff. This has been amazing. I feel like we could go on for another hour. I know. It went a lot faster. I was like, right. I was like, <laughs> David, I've got like another two hours of notes here. What? We got, we, dude, we're going to do part two. I got one last question for you that came, came to me. If I gave you enough money so that you never had to work again, you never had to go in, you could do whatever you want. What would you do? You know what I would do? Well, so first of all, yeah, I would go surfing for sure. <laughs> I thought I thought for some reason that might be one of the first things. But you know, you can't surf every day. So I do have a mountain bike and I do have snowboards. But realistically, the other thing I would do, and this is something that I've actually I almost tried to get started. I really want to create a program that helps young, like early 20s adults that come from like kind of at-risk, low-income families and demographics. I would really like to create a program that allow that gets them trained to be sales development or CSMs. But when you're taking a person like that and putting them into this corporate business environment, 
there's some other factors that you need to bring to the table. And that's my wife's line of work as a, uh, as a therapist and a counselor and a mentor. And so I would probably create an organization that would provide both social services, counseling services, and training services to train someone and get them ready to be successful as an SDR. I mean, nice. to the point of like having resources so you could take someone out to shop because you might hire someone like this, but they don't have enough money to buy like the right work attire. I mean, I'm talking about going out to really to people that really don't have a lifeline to get into this kind of work. That is probably something that I would do on top of, yes, enjoying some surfing, some snowboarding, some cycling. <laughs> and I, I've thought of that at, at, by and large for a while, but you know, I decided to take this job instead of gritting it out and starting something from scratch. But that's something that I would do. And it would be a way that I could give back both to both sales development profession and so the software industry by and large, which has you know, allowed me to live the life that I get to live. I work for it. And then also help with the local communities. You know, I live in a town that has the poorest population per capita of any city in San Mateo. I live in Half Moon Bay. And, you know, I want to keep trying to hire and offer jobs to these young people that go to school, they go to college, and then they come back and they're like, how am I going to get a job? What am I going to do? And I would love to create some kind of bridge between what I do now and something like that. I love it, man. Uh, you should check out Vendition and SV Academy and Always Hired and, and you know, the various. Yeah, I've looked, at those, I've looked at those programs, but you know where they lack is, is they lack in that social services and counseling services because 100%. the whole like matriculation process, I think might be the right word here to bring in someone with that background and culture into like, you know, the young person that went to college and their parents paid for most of it, you know, it's going to be, there's going to be a, a big gap between those people. And I want to support the person that's on the kind of underside of that gap so they could feel good about themselves and have a better understanding of how to deal with all of this new change, new culture, new inputs. I want to see you do it, man. I want to see you do it. I'm going to, I'm going to challenge you. Once you get that next big windfall, whether it be Tiger Graph or <laughs> something else, and we can carve off, you know, several hours every day for surfing, mountain biking, whatever else you want to do. It's only a couple hours, David. I am, you know, I'm not as young as I look. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, Jeff, well, thank you, dude. Thank you for sharing all your knowledge. And like I said, we got to get you back on. This was an amazing discussion. And if people want to continue the conversation with you, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Reach out to me on LinkedIn, send me a DM. There's probably a million people now that'll send me an email via Jeff at tigergraph.com. <laughs> Happy to share. <laughs> Thank you very much, David. Really, it's been an honor. I was pretty flattered when you approached me about this and super stoked, man. Thank you. Appreciate all you do too for sales. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.